Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM podcast network. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And on the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week, we're hitting the road in an attempt to exercise our demons as undercover agent Boulder, embedded within the mysterious cult, the Bonsen Knights, to not only bring down their charismatic leader, but also to achieve revenge for your mentor, Kupra, who is also embedded within the cult. Bonson Knights is the third entry in LCB Game Studios' standalone but interconnected universe of pixel pulp interactive fiction adventures that continues novelist Nico Sarantaris and artist Fernando Martinez Rupel's streak of 8-bit, retro-looking, and strongly written horror adventures. So we briefly covered both games um, for the roundup over the last two years, um, but I had only played their second game in the series, that being Varney Lake. Uh, Neil, you were somebody that had put these on my radar, but you had also been there from day one. You played Mothman 1966, Farney Lake, and of course, Bonson Knights. So I'm curious for you, uh, for Bonson Knights, you know, how do you find that stacks up against the other two entries in this standalone trilogy? Well, I mean, I have to sort of first say that it, it was the unfortunate thing that this came out when it did in December on PC because I just didn't have time and to play it and review it mm-hmm. when I wanted to. Which you know, is like, given I reviewed the last two, it was like, yeah, but yeah, different times, different job. It's, yeah. but yeah, I was always going to come back to it, and um, it was a nice um, Steam Deck game in this regard. So that was a yeah. So <laughs> the completionist in me probably was not going to be happy that I've not got all three on the same place. But yeah, I just bought them all again on PC. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, now. What I did like about the differences between the first two games was literally that they were very different, you know, like um, in style. Um, and now I see with this third game that each one, you know, visually speaking, even though they share obviously the same basic formula, does something with the color palette and the detail that does seem to be specific to the era it's in almost you know it's like there's lesser detail 
in Mothman, you know, going up to here where it's like some not only great detail, but like the shots that they put up are just fantastic at times. You know, it's like all moody, you know, carpenter sort of you know, apocalypse trilogy esque sort of stuff, which you know, straight away was like, wow, okay. I mean, going through this game repeatedly thinking, this would be like a fucking awesome movie, you know, like that. You know, just like the visual, because of the visual style that they've put across. And I think you were sort of alluding to this when we talked about it uh, a while back, you know, when you just started playing it. You know, there's something about the color palette this time that really hits for what it's going for. I think in all three cases, um, they do really well. But I think Barney Lake was a bit more colorful out the three. Yeah, whereas Moffin was very um, limited, almost evoking like the fact that it was in that B movie era of the fifties. In keeping it simple, in the palette here, it does just scream late eighties, early nineties sort of moodiness. Even though it's set in nineteen eighty three, it's yeah, you can see the influence points um, cinematically, and even you know, all of them have had some kind of Stephen King vibe. There's no doubt about that. I mean, again, as much as I just said about Carpenter, there's so much King in you know, just like the idea of the cult and it being this strange cult, you know, and this um, post-apocalyptic idea of like, you know, tornadoes causing these biblical storms. And it's a fascinating structure and it's a great way to start the, the whole game, I think, is just to have this world that is so unique when you compare it to the other two, which are very much grounded in our reality and our times past and present. This is like you know, an unknown future and things are different and weird. And yeah, it, that's um, straight away made it a very striking change from the last two games. Yeah. You know, while I didn't play Mothman, I had scoured over enough of the uh, screenshots on steam and whatnot that I was really thinking about that color palette all week and the fact that it so perfectly aligns with like the tones and the themes mm. that each one of these games really does uh, explore, right? Because Mothman is cryptid, sci-fi horror focused. So you've got those greens and blues, which Beautiful. for whatever reason kind of reminded me about like the X-Files with a lot of the yeah. like, creature features of the week type of thing, just that kind of atmosphere. And then you have Varney Lake, which is, you know, much more King focused, but vampiric horror, but at the same time, reflecting the time period uh, or I suppose the time of year when that game unfolds, which is during the summer. So there's this sun scorched aspect to the horror and using a much more vibrant palette of blues and yellows and whatnot. Yes, so absolutely. while it is this idyllic sort of um, canvas, if you will, it's still dealing with the horrors of vampires and, you know, in some ways the horrors of adolescence and whatnot um, that don't have to be supernatural ones, right? It's about relationships and how those change and how, Later down the line, you might run into people and then you're forced to reflect on that relationship, yeah. whether it stemmed from, you know, just normal adolescent things or, hey, you discovered a vampire out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and then arriving at Banson Nights, and it's so funny that you bring up Carpenter because about two seconds before you said that, I literally wrote down apocalyptic trilogy on my notepad, <laughs> um, which, you know, speaks to the color palette here, which is of these this evocative use of reds, pinks and blacks and that really does capture that apocalyptic cult crime thriller aspect to Banson Knights. And what I love about this trilogy of games that, again, you don't have to play one to enjoy one of the other ones, but I mean, 
this all I'm going to do this weekend probably is play Mothman 1966 now to complete that trilogy because I feel like it's the ideal one shot type of trilogy in that they're connected tonally and thematically mm. in a way, but they still at least have these narratives that unfold in a way that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a continuation of something, but it's more a continuation of a tone or a theme, yeah. which um, is something that, I don't know, I feel like a lot when we talk about text adventure games, you don't really talk about series of text adventures, right? It's usually like there's one-offs or it's just this one entry. And to see something that every in, every new installment kind of just complements the one that came before it and vice versa once you actually play it, um, I think that speaks to like this duo uh, out of Argentina that just, they really set out and they understand what they're trying to do with these games. And if anything, it's probably the best use of that 8-bit sort of ZX spectrum color yeah. palette because you see plenty of games that try to tackle this pixel art style and want people to, you know, feel nostalgic for a bygone era and whatnot. But here it feels less like a marketing kind of gimmick or a trend gimmick of games. And it feels more like it's complementary of the time period that the story is actually unfolding within, um, which is probably the best compliment I can give this game and the series as a whole uh, in regards to its style. Yeah. It's, yeah, from the outset, you know, I remember reading that sort of mission statement about what they were doing before this game came out, you know, and um, my uh, old editor at um, PlayStation Universe, J.P. Jones, pointed this game, you know, Mothman out to me and said, look at this, yeah, this looks really interesting. And, you know, so I had to sort of dig deeper and, you know, knowing that, you know, you've got someone who's like an established writer in their own right and someone who's established artist in their own right and coming together and understanding video games in their own particular way because you know it's a text adventure yeah but it's so unorthodox in what it does you know like the, the i don't want to call it a gag but you know the recurring bit about doing a game of solitaire in, in every single game is like yeah <laughs> just like i kind of warmly welcome it at this point you know like even though i'm still shit at it three games in but it's like <laughs> <laughs> same here <laughs> don't get me started on the darts <laughs> yeah oh man <laughs> I spent way too long trying to nail that to get that achievement. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's good to see that everything they said with that first game has been true with every single game. It's like, even though they are different stories and they have different tones and styles, they still manage to you know, tie together. You know, it's like they, they still feel like the loosest sense of a trilogy in the same way that Carpenter's trilogy wasn't a, a true trilogy. It's... um. It's a thematic one. And, you know, you were saying there about um, Viney Lake and what part of life that depicts. And, you know, again, you know, that was childhood. Um, adulthood is kind of addressed a bit in Mothman in terms of, like, um, young people starting to realise, oh, shit, my life could be over of this, if, you know, because of other things outside of the fact that, you know, Mothman are involved. And then this is like someone who's, you know, lived and is kind of mourning a life that he can't go back to. I mean, when I first saw bits of this, I was like, I thought it was going to be like a literal continuation of like Barney Lake and it was going to be very vampiric. And, you know, the colours, I think, did that for me. And I think the crosses and thinking that. But to learn it was basically like The Departed by John Carpenter. It was like, okay. Well, Infernal Affairs, if, if I want to 
correct myself there because going Scorsese didn't do it first. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's that kind of you know the, the undercover guy uh, in this case, you know, uh, known as Boulder, who's basically just given up his old life and laments it, and you get to feel that tension of like being with these people who would stab you in a heartbeat, as you will find out repeatedly when you fail things. Um, that, that you do one slight thing wrong, and they're like, yep, I was right not to trust you. Stab, stab, stab. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, or some variant thereof. Um, yeah, so it, one of the, those things it does so well is that atmosphere of um, unease and tension and time running out, you know, like that... Um, there's a lot there's some time sections in this game now where you know you have a chance to like do something that might be helpful to building a case against this cult like that but if you're not quick enough and don't get out of what you're doing you know or pick the wrong thing you can end up getting caught and as we just said likely stabbed to death um in one of a variety of fun and interesting ways but it's like it's when you get involved in these cult moments in this game it's um truly probably the most tense probably because the gameplay aspects of that are some of the most um intense in terms of what you're having to do um the road exorcisms as they call them which in this game is basically you know these cars which are all ford sierras um which apparently is you know with the title that's uh where that comes from i mean that was a very interesting choice. You know, I just love the idea of just like a specific car and they were called that. And, you know, they tell the story of why that is um, in the game. And it's, I love that it just, like anything, like, like it all began because they had something and it was like, yeah, why not? This is what we are now. You know, I, we are just these four Sierra driving occultists and that's it. But when you get into those moments of, um, trying to sort of evade being caught out and when you get these moments of trying to find out these little bits of evidence like i said time is constantly against you even though it doesn't feel like it because of the nature of what this game is and it is very text heavy and like you know your options are generally this way that way this way that way and it's not even point and click is going back to that zx spectrum and thing of like no mouse, you know, you are just like up arrow, down arrow, pick, that sort of thing, which makes encounters that should be fairly simple all the more interesting and um, occasionally frustrating when you uh, are basically just having to manually select, I want to pick this option and then enter and then do it again and do it again. And it's like, you can get lost in the moment very easily with that. But yeah, uh, to not go on too much because we've got some more to talk about I'm sure um, this as you said is not your first like experience with this um, truly but uh, this is like the freshest you've come into it I think at this point um, and you said minutes into it you know you had that sort of vibe you know into playing the game what did you think you were sort of getting into in those opening moments so I made the same incorrect but not you know completely out of left field assumption that you did about this was that, oh, this is going to be a continuation of Varney Lake. Maybe not a literal one, Mm. but continuing that vampiric uh, sort of theme, but having a different sort of visual tone to go with it. And, you know, I will admit, 
once I realized, oh, we're not going to this vampiric cult, I was a little disappointed in learning, oh, it's just a normal cult. But that sort of brief moment of disappointment was completely alleviated because of the way in which the writing is handling a very familiar subject matter, right? I think mm. thinking, oh, we're dealing with a vampiric cult to just, you know, guys in the middle of nowhere basically making a cult. But at the same time, I was like, you know, how are they going to make this sort of cult detective thing fresh and interesting? And, you know, jokes on me forever doubting the duo behind this, because the way in which this game is able is able to have that apocalyptic setting that you don't see a great deal of examples of that, which I think, again, comes back to the style and the fact that it's able to evoke that end of the world feeling without constantly showing you like a ravaged America. You get glimpses of the tornadoes and whatnot. Um, but at the same time, you, there aren't a great deal of set pieces like that. So the fact that early on they're able to establish the feeling like America is falling apart or you're in at least the most lawless part of America, taking it back to like the old West days kind of almost yeah. um, just through the visual style and the fact that it's able to carry that tone. But then when you pair it with the writing and mm. the, the writing that does not solely focus on let's uncover as much info about the cult to bring them down, bring them down. Uh, as possible. Like it's much more than that. I wasn't really expecting it to be as introspective into Boulder's own life and the grappling of yeah. that. Right. I think they take that trope of crime thrillers or crime dramas of the undercover guy that either goes too deep or begins to regret even making this decision. And they make it very genuine and very personal. I'm not going to say that there's necessarily a lot of narrative surprises but i think the writing at least is very very genuine and heartfelt in the way that you know very quickly you start to feel for boulder not only does he lose his mentor and friend copa um to the cult but also just grappling with the reality that you know he has this cover story of his wife and child dying and even though they're not dead in real life that takes a huge toll on him you know there's several set pieces where he goes to the graveyard where their uh, fake head headstones are because that's where he has to use these basically religious cards that have different saints on them. And those are how he communicates with his handlers. And so he'll match pieces of evidence to that and then, you know, bring about the end of the cult. But, you know, there's a couple of instances where he goes and he just stares at their graves and he talks about how painful that is, is how, you know, it forces him to think about a reality without them. And even though they're alive, that's very much a possibility for him. Maybe they won't get killed, but if he gets found out, he certainly will. Yeah. Um, and so I found that to be really endearing. And while the game lacks, I suppose, the level of supernatural um, elements that I thought it would, it's still on a per on a human level, um, really, really nailed the mark in terms of getting me engaged in something that on the surface seems a little familiar. But, you know, once you get down to it, um, it's, you know, a very well written uh, story and whatnot. And, you know, the attention to detail in getting to the root of this character, you know, I think it spreads to other characters, not only just the depictions of them, but I'm thinking about in particular, like you go to the, um, the Bonson Knights favorite bar, right? It's like this dive bar. Uh, it's called Danny's bar and it's run by this bartender named Kevin. And Kevin is one of those characters that initially you might be like, yeah, this is just some bartender, but the more you interact with that recurring character, the level of depth yeah. that you learn about this character that initially just seems like, you know, any other bartender. And then you learn like, oh, he's really into writing fiction and whatnot. And then he actually will like spell out for you the synopsis of a couple of like fiction stories he wrote, which are kind of like 
I don't know, Jack Reacher novels or something like that. Something that it, Boulder himself can very much relate to. Um, but that was just one of those little examples of taking very simplistic seeming characters or elements of this world and giving it a lot of depth that the player um, almost forgets like, oh yeah, this is not going to be a major player in this game because a lot of the dialogue with you know Kevin in particular, um, it doesn't necessarily have to do with the outcome of the narrative of Boulder yeah. and his plight, but at the end of the day, it still influences the actions, which then bleeds into, you know, the more uh, choose your own adventure side to this game, which, you know, I'm not as familiar with the other two entries as you are, but um, I don't remember in Varney Lake there being as much of a choose your own adventure. You get to do these actions and that action, and you can actually die in a couple of different ways. Um, but I found that the way in which they were able to pair that with the writing and the world building in general, yeah. Um, was really cool and you know the game itself very quickly it introduces really cool terminology like road exorcisms which is when the bands and knights is essentially just get in like a cross formation and then drive head on at traffic right yeah. as a tornado chases them like such a cool not only um i suppose visual but also it speaks to the cult and their sort of uh, maniacal ways and the fact that they're really reveling in this lawless land but at the same time there's that choose your own adventure mini game aspect where you actually have to steer out of traffic, much to your point, with the uh, just a simple mouse click. You have to go left, right, speed up, back up. Like those little touches, I think, go a long way in, again, this merger of choose your own adventure, but a little bit more agency, I suppose. It kind of is like the perfect blending of a visual novel, right? Yeah. That's something we talk about uh, on Horror Bites a lot when we cover those uh, types of experiences. It's like, yeah. They're mostly reliant on their writing, but the ways they can incorporate uh, audio, the way they can incorporate images, the way they can incorporate player choice. And, you know, this game is probably the best example of that, I would think. Yeah. And like I said before, the pixel pulps ideals mean that, you know, they can shift between genres, shift between styles and make these familiar games, uh, familiar setups with very different stories. And yeah, you were saying there about you know, how different Varney Lake is in terms of like the kind of peril up front. Um, that game was like the outlier, really, in that regard. It was very, that's what made me like, oh wow, this is really different to Mothman because Mothman does a lot of the same things this does in terms of like um, yeah peril and reaction stuff. And I, I like both approaches, and it just shows how flexible and versatile this um system is because of its simplicity you know again something we go on about horror bites a lot is that you know when you've got simple systems you've got the flexibility to make all sorts of things out of it i mean on the surface for people who don't really care for that they're, they're going to look and go yeah it's the same as this thing same as that thing they're not going to delve into it, but it's not for them you know that's i think in terms of storytelling you know it, yeah, it could easily be a book. It could easily be a movie, but you know why games have been picked as like the medium here because it, you know it could be a comic even. And in any of those other mediums, you would lose something. I think there's something very special about the combination of things here that that make it work in video game form better than it would. There, you know, as much as I say this would make a fantastic looking movie, you know, like that, it would. Yeah, sure. But the game is here to, in the first place and showing us why we think that, you know, it is how they managed to do 
so much with so little, you know, what are effectively just like slightly moving images here and there, you know, like pixels, just detailed pixels. And yeah, you know, I was looking for ages when I was doing um, stuff for looking up for, on this episode and like on a Steam page and you have like that first um, GIF image of like the cars in formation and you just see like the glint of the headlights and like the light reflecting off the windshields and it's just like more than any of the games so far it's just such a gorgeous use of this like limited color palette and again it's because the way it's framed so often it really does just oof, it, it hits in a way that i did not expect you know and it really does establish that moody sort of carpenter vibe that we were talking about. That I felt so much more compelled to be looking at the screen and just savoring things and not just like getting to the next bit of dialogue. Because I just, you, you look at these individual images and you just look at them and go, oh, wow, you know, this is something. I mean, it's literally just every now and again, you'll just look at what an image go, that could be a wallpaper. That could be a wallpaper, which you know, is, you know, seems a bit you know underhanded to say that about a game in or oh, it's a make it makes for good wallpapers, but you know, it still tells a good story. It still does good things. It's just the way it looks at times. You just like, yes, I would, I would just have that. I'd fucking frame that and just have it on my wall right now, sort of thing, if I was allowed to, of course. But <laughs> <laughs> totally agree, and I think that uh, when we come back from our break, we're going to dive a little bit more into the art direction, uh, the general direction of those really gorgeous pixels uh, and sort of the uh, canvases of the different set pieces in this game, as well as unpacking a little bit more of those um, choose your own adventure bits, because that really is a layer of. I suppose, player agency and choice that we haven't seen in a game such as this, and even in past Pixel Pulps and whatnot. So we'll dive into those and more in a moment. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. And we are back from our break. And, you know, you were talking about the art and how a lot of those different images could be, you know, framed pictures you could hang on your wall, right? And I think that it's 
we've praised the art style. We've praised the use of the colors. But one thing that is blatantly apparent from, I would say, the opening moments of this game, even if, you know, somebody like me that hasn't played Mothman, but has looked at enough of the screenshots and watched enough clips, my time with Varney Lake, the direction of this game, I think, is stellar, right? Yeah. I might have some qualms that we'll get into a little bit about the ending of this game. But the one thing that I find to be undeniable about this, is, and it speaks to why, you know, it benefits the player to play the entire series, not from a narrative standpoint of connecting them, but just to see the growth in, in a, mm -hmm. such a short period of time from this duo, the fact that it feels as if not a single set piece is wasted. And those environments, you know, they can be sprawling at times. I think about early on, Boulder is looking from afar of um, the Banson Knights sort of uh, barn that's got this big red cross paint on the side of it. And I mean, instantly I was gripped by that. You know, I, initially I thought it was because there were vampires there, but that image stayed in my mind the entire time. And it's not the only instance of that. Mm. I think about when they're introducing like the tornadoes, the first time they show you the road exorcism, the first time that they have basically a guy that's strapped from his arms and his legs between the different Banshee Knights cars and whatnot. Like there is so much imagery in this that, you know, when you're talking about this visual novel, you know, you have to have, you have to pick your images very carefully, right? You have to have sort of the most, I suppose, pristine way to let a scene play out. Mm. And that doesn't necessarily completely reliant on the art style, but at the same time, it speaks to just like being able to know from a director's lens almost the absolute best frame to show the player to emphasize either an action or a point. And the fact that this game, you know, seemingly is able to do that in spades every time a new setting is introduced. I think about that bar, right? Yeah. How many bars have you seen in games or movies or whatever, right? They all look practically exactly the same. And through the use of the level of detail in this game, and again, that, that color, uh, color palette, you know, it just, it makes the ordinary pop in a way that invites the player to want to explore it more than just, okay, this is going to progress the narrative here or there. Um, and that was something that, you know, throughout, I probably spent more time with this game than I actually needed to, because it's only probably a two hour game at yeah. most, but I spent, you know, three, three and a half hours just exploring every inch of it, uh, trying to uncover different clues and whatnot, which, you know, is something we'll come to in a little bit as well. Yeah. It's got that special something in terms of like making you want to know more about the world, um, which, you know, being that it has this sort of novel sort of approach to what it does, it, it means that you kind of get that if you explore deeper into it. And again, this goes back to why this is a great medium for it. It's like you get the story told out to you like a book, but obviously a choose your own adventure book. And that means that you can miss bits and come back. But unlike what we would traditionally know as a choose your own adventure book, where there's a simplicity there to kind of limit you in terms of like, you don't want to get too complicated and throw this, this and this. You know, this really does have this sophisticated way of going about it. You know, failure isn't like, oh, always, you know, game over. Failure to do something, sometimes it's just a different way to progress the story. You know, not, you know, the most groundbreaking thing you've ever heard in terms of ideas. But here it just feels so natural. The flow of it, nothing feels like, you know, that very stereotypical choice a choice b thing it was like will they live will they die blah 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 will the world be 
ended or saved. It's nothing. Like, it is just these minute decisions. I mean, one of the best examples I think is when you go and do that road exorcism and you're asked to take point effectively on it, knowing obviously what that means from what you're saying. You know, going headlong into traffic, <laughs> and the fact that the <laughs> fact you can chicken out of it and it become part of the story is oh, just... Oh, really? I didn't yeah, know. yeah, you you can say, nah, I, I'm not ready. So, like that, and um, yeah, the, the dialogue you get after that is like, you know, people not so much about suspecting you as not being good enough, but just more a case of like, chickened out. But I think the way the story is told, there's this insinuation that like, you're not the only one that kind of feels like that about the idea of leading it, even though they are like, you know, devoted to this thing. Little little details that just work out beautifully. I mean, like the thing about you know the leader of a cult being a car salesman as well. Just mm-hmm. fucking just it works so well, and you know he looks just and acts like that even in the apocalypse. And I oh, just yeah, it, there there are so many ways this game just evolves an idea that's been going for what, since July of twenty twenty two. You know, like that. This game came out the same year as Vani, like, uh, on PC. Oh, it comes out on console this month, which is why we're covering it. And, yeah, which means we can qualify it for the end of the year, which yep. is good. <laughs> 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 and, yeah, I was just blown away by how sophisticated and seamless things were. You know, as much, I, you know, I love Vani, like, um, specifically for the kind of story it was telling. Yeah, you know, that that's the strongest point for me, um, and it was the same with Mothman in the first place. You know, I, I loved it because it was telling me that very pulpy B movie style story, which I I love. But each time they're telling me, you know, things I love within like genre movies and genre books and whatever they are. You know, like it's no surprise. You know, it's like. 50s B-movies, you know, Stephen King novels, John Carpenter in the span of three games. It's like, feels <laughs> almost tailor-made, you know, at this point. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I'm so happy to see that, you know, that this volume, effectively, is sort of ended with something like this that feels like, you know, you almost have that same confidence you do see from, like, directors or writers where, you know, maybe they have a breakout hit that's quite good, and but you can see the flaws. And then the second one comes along, and it's a bit more confident. And then the next one comes along, and it's just like, oof, okay, now they've got everything sorted. That they are fulfilling their potential while staying true to what they are, and keeping the tone and the feel, and you know, even the solitaire, you know, in there and and unchanging where it matters. Yeah, and you know, when you talk about that sort of choose your own adventure minigame aspect of it, one thing that I really liked, and the reason that that worked for me, because initially, early on, I was kind of like, is this necessary, right? That was the first thing that I thought in my head. I was like, are we trying to pad out an experience or are we just trying to, you know, evolve on what they had done before, but is it necessarily going to click in a meaningful way? And again, I'm coming back to the writing and how, you know, invested you are in Boulder you feel for him on a personal level. Mm-hmm. You also feel for him in a professional capacity because of how you know invested you are in him. You're like, man, this guy better not get found out because if he dies, that would really suck. Yeah. Uh, and you actually care about a character. And again, such a short period of time. But what I liked about each of the mini games outside of Solitaire and Darts, and these are the mini games that have 
consequences. And granted, it's more or less a slap on the wrist, right? There isn't a great toll that's paid for dying, which is ideal for this type of game. Um, I liked the fact that time is a factor in all of them, right? So you, you have the aspect of the road exorcism. You have to be able to maneuver quickly, right? If you don't, then you die and it's the end of that sort of mini game. But I'm thinking about later in the game. And one of my favorite instances of this is when you're trying to rifle through the leader of the cult's desk at the bar because mm. he uses that as his office. And you've got this desk and naturally the desk has got 20 compartments <laughs> and you have to go through each of them to try to find evidence that you can then, you know, give to your superiors. And it would be one thing if it was like, okay, I'm just going to click, click, click this one open, this one open, this one open. And it'd be like, okay, this is kind of like a little meandering. Like I have to check everything. But the fact that there is a time limit to it, all of a sudden you start to feel the intensity that would go into being an undercover agent. You need to get in and get out as quickly as possible before you're found out. And keep drawers shut as well, is not it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That is the sort of the ace up that mini game sleeve is that the first time I was doing that, I was just thinking, okay, I've got a clock. I'm on a stopwatch. I have to do this as quickly as possible. What happens? Somebody barges in and I've left every single drawer open <laughs> so then I get stabbed to death basically in the back of this bar, which was like a beautiful death in a video game, I'll say, because it informed the fact that, oh no, you have to pay attention to these little details. Yeah. The fact that you have to keep an eye on the clock while keeping an eye on what you're clicking at the very bottom, because you have to do you know left, right, left, right, open, close, open, close. Like that level of complexity, while it might seem artificial because it's harkening back to an older sort of analog style of games, at the same time, it's a perfect pairing of all those different factors to create genuine tension uh, for a game that, you know, is a text adventure. And, you know, there's another one later on where you basically are waiting in line to, you know, have your oh, yeah. uh, your car move up and, you know, you realize, oh, they're scanning for wires. And so you've got a hot mic on. And so you basically have to be looking out your car windows to see who's looking at you, but you also have to roll down a window and then you have to make sure nobody's looking when you toss the wire out. And that was one of the most intense moments of the experience and the fact that it's taking a very familiar tropey kind of situation of an undercover and a crime thriller or whatever but it's adding that player agency and the tension of that time limit um, is you know i think a really beautiful way to see this progression of developers people that maybe weren't as accustomed to the medium with mothman still not to say that like they didn't achieve what they set out to do with that but i just mean the level of growth in such a short period of time mm from keeping with what made the original two games so strong, but then even making Banson Knights evolve in a way that, you know, it makes you excited to think about the future. Again, I'm not thinking about how oh, are they going to connect this to another story? I'm thinking about the level of growth from the writing to the direction to the actual gameplay aspect of it. Now, the more they experiment with gameplay, it's going to be that fine balance of, how much of it is going to be these interactive little mini games, how much of it's going to be narrative. But, you know, Banshee Knights seems like the perfect blending of both of those, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's hard to disagree with that because, you know, I can see it even down to like the mini games and how they've evolved in, in these three games. And you know, I've, in most studios cases, even an indie studio, you would look at um, one game coming out eight months after the last and think, can't be that much different, surely, if that's the case, you know, like, but I do think this is where having 
a writer, you know, you know, someone who writes novels and things like that for a, a living, and an artist that can convert that, does give them a different understanding of how to sort of like take the familiar parts and then scramble them around and make them new and in not just visually but also you know mechanically and do these things that still fit but in a new way and yeah I, I think that is key to how they can have the good turnover in terms of like and keep evolving it and keep improving it whilst making something entirely unique each time you know like that it's like that's the true definition of like what a series should do is like each one has something you like about it you know which is usually like the visual style to a degree um and then the next one will do something more and more and more and by separating it into volumes and then saying like there's gonna be in you know another volume that'll be in, i assume in like another trilogy that then probably gives them time and room to sort of go okay so we did this with these ones we can maybe try a different starting point for the next lot whilst you know again keeping something that people liked about the last games and you know all over again you know the beautiful thing about pulp novels is they are just that you know the, these familiar stories familiar ideas that can surprise you with the interesting subversions they take on um, traditional storytelling. And that's exactly what I wanted out of it. From the minute it said that in that sort of opening game where they gave that message out of, this is what we're doing, this is the kind of things we're inspired by, and, you know, and going into detail exactly why pulp novels were like the key thing behind it. Every game has felt like that. Every game has had something about it that made you just go, yes, I, I get it, like that. And, yeah, having a storyteller really has helped, them, I think, in terms of just making each game feel special in its own way. And, I mean, if you want to know how, like, much they've evolved in, like, less than 18 months, Eurogamer giving them, like, five stars, you know, like, for this game says it all you know like that and it and then raising the profile even further like that you know it's uh, it's mad to think that you're going from like i know a few people that played this game great like that with movement all the way to this you know it's like it's beautiful yeah absolutely beautiful to see so i want to speak to that artist writer relationship that you mentioned and might be a little bit of a tangent, so I apologize mm. ahead of time. So I'm the king I was of them, reading, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was reading um, on the Steam page for this game. Uh, they've had you know developer blogs and whatnot, which have become more commonplace. And part of why I think they have been so successful is the fact that, by their own admission, that they have adopted essentially like the Marvel method mm. for comp that you know comic books uh, sort of followed over at Marvel back in the day, which was the idea that. The writer would give a brief synopsis. They would give like story beats and points, things that they want to emphasize. Yeah. But then they wouldn't do a panel by panel breakdown of instructions. No. It would be up to the artist then to connect those things visually and ensuring that, you know, you're hitting these beats, you're hitting these locations and settings, going off of very little and allowing the artist the freedom to do what they yeah. want. And, you know, this duo has said that they are 
following a method very similar to that. You know, it made me think about um, when DC was doing the New 52 launch. I remember an interview with um, Greg Capullo, who's, you know, an artist that spent decades with Marvel and then, you know, is on DC now. And uh, Scott Snyder, who is, you know, blown up tremendously over the last, you know, 10, 15 years or whatnot. And I remember an interview where they talked about for the first volume or the first few issues of Batman that it was a nightmare working together because Scott Snyder would overwrite everything and Greg Capullo is <laughs> coming from the Marvel method. And, you know, granted, when you have two tremendous talents like that, it wasn't a disaster because they figured a way to work yeah. together, but they had lament, they had complained about the growing pains of that relationship that then would flourish into, you know, lifelong friendship, much success in comics and whatnot. And it's just really an interesting idea to see a method that originated in comic books that's having an effect. Granted, it's because it's a visual novel game, obviously, but I love that idea that you have this duo and it's not just the fact that one is super talented at writing, one is super talented at art, but the way in which they're able to sort of understand the madness between each other's methods and it's woven into something that feels complementary of one another because that's not always the case. There have definitely been projects that have tried to have similar things, maybe not specifically a visual novel, but you know, one element tends to stand out more than the other and it's not always that they are as cohesive as they are, you know, clearly in the Pixel Pulp series. So that ends up making for a duo that, you know, no matter what they tackle next in terms of the type of pulp that the story will tackle, um, it just makes me excited to see how they're going to be able to interweave their sort of styles together once again through gameplay or storytelling. Um, but that all leads me to want to discuss the finale of this game and get your thoughts on that. Um, because like I said, this was uh, my second game in the series and you've seen you know all of the parts of this series. So for you, um, how did Advanced Knight's finale land for you? Um, I think it was interesting that it just sort of went in a direction I did not expect you know, for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, obviously we're going into spoiler territory big time at this point with this, but, um, you know, a helicopter fight was not really what I had expected. But the more I stewed on it afterwards, the more I thought, no, okay, I, there's something about it that kind of makes sense. Like that. Um, because you have this gangster element to this game, you know, even though you know, he's a car salesman, what's the difference, as they would say? You, you know, you hear those stories of like gangsters who like, or, or military men just getting people up in helicopters to drop them out of it, which is obviously the plan here, but also, yeah, to drop you into a tornado like that. And it turns into this big fight. And it felt like, a perfect example of how powerful you know, the cult leader thinks they are and how, how you know, this is like their example making thing, you know, that's their ritualistic sacrifice, you know, to say you betray me, so this is what happens to you sort of thing. So I felt more comfortable with it in that regard. And what I liked about it, again, is getting back into that mechanic of like timing with this really sort of mechanical system. You know, like, you know, press this to do this, press this to do this, and then you press this to perform the entire action. Like that. And the first time, you know, when it's like the helicopter's crashing, you've got to get out of it, but you've got to get out at the right time. Right? Because it's the, they're trying to say, you know, they describe the helicopter as basically just spinning. And, you know, if you jump out the wrong moment, you're going to hit land or when you want to hit water. 
And at first I was like, oh, it's not, not really sure how I'm going to do that. Because you know, the idea is your options are keep looking. It describes what's there and then do or jump out. And it wasn't until I then looked at the art and what it was doing where the colors were changing constantly to tell you basically this is when it's safe. This isn't, you know, without it being like you know, in your face obvious. And I was like, oh, okay, like that. And then it's, and it was like, yeah, brilliant. This time I did not get turned into street pizza. You know, I, it was a lovely moment. And I don't know, it just felt like the right end, that and the epilogue, felt like the right way to finish that story uh, for Boulder because... As you said, it's like you care and you want it to be a happy ending. And I think it had to be. It's like, because they've put you through the ringer in terms of like the character and what he's doing and you know, and how he feels. And it's like to deny him the satisfaction and the player that satisfaction of getting that resolved ending. I can get why people might want it to be more downbeat, but I felt that ending particularly for me was like the way it had to be you know just like again that's where it felt most like a king sort of style thing you know where it's like you know, if it was more calm to yeah maybe it was a bit more ambiguous maybe things aren't as great as they could be for him at the end but there it was like yeah I, I don't mind a bit of schmaltz i don't mind you know that he gets to do that because we've he, he's earned it and the player has earned the right to see that you know um as a, like a finale battle, you know, against like the big bad. Again, I think it works, even though it's like short and kind of like anticlimactic in terms of like he's been built up to be this dangerous person. It's like I go back to my original point. He's a car salesman who has basically used his you know mouth to make people think he's more important and more powerful than he actually is, and. So why wouldn't it be very easy to just chuck the fucker out of the helicopter? You know, or, or get him, you know, whatever, or stab him, whatever it takes. You know, that's it. That's all he is. He's a man. And I think that's kind of the point. Like that. It's like in that moment when everything's on the line and it's like, well, it's now or never. It works. And it goes like that. Yeah, you know, for me, initially, I was a little underwhelmed. I was like, all this time and that's it? But the fact that you had that epilogue at the end of it, and I agree that, you know, for an experience like this, I really had to have, you know, the happy ending, if you will, um, just because of the fact that this experience, you feel the boot on your neck of being found out the entirety yes. of the time. And the fact that you already and, you know, the pain that he is dealing with internally is made so palpable throughout because of, again, the stellar writing that I was like, this man has to get a W by the end of this, right? Yeah. Um, to the degree that it made me realize like just because I found maybe the ending to be slightly uh, anticlimactic, despite, you know, what you said is perfectly valid. The idea that, yeah, this guy, it, all cult leaders at the end of the day are cowards, right? What do half of them do when they get surrounded? They take themselves out because they can't face the consequences of what they've done. So to see that he is not this supernatural divine being like he probably thinks he is, is very fitting. Yes. And the fact that, you know, he goes out the way he goes out actually does work. I think it was probably just the suddenness of which, mm that kind of clip, the finale kind of kicks off and how quickly it's concluded after that. But at the same time, you know, that epilogue, I think 
does justice by that character in a way that is meaningful and that's empowering, um, empower is powerful. And so, you know, um, to all of a sudden have Boulder himself become like a superhero mm. also wouldn't really fit, no. right? It's when you think back on it, it might unfold too quickly for my liking, but at the same time, what occurs is very sort of, I suppose, grounded, yeah. right? It's the most grounded out of the previous two games we've played. But in that grounded nature, when, you know, a lack of fantasy, if you will, in some ways, you get the human aspect of it that shines, I think, brighter than probably um, the last one, at least for me personally, just from, you know, having a protagonist and being invested in them and their mission um, really, really paid off well. And I think that, you know, while the finale is not my favorite part of it, it reinforces, I think, an experience that it follows a pulp-like nature, right? It has this big set piece moment, but at the end of the day, you know, it really is about these characters that you have to come to care for. And the fact the game's able to deliver that, um, I looked more fondly on the finale, I'll say, um, the the farther I got from it. Yeah, and that's exactly why you should. Um, one of the most important things I think there is with that as well is the early establishment of like, you know, they pretended his family was dead to give that distance so there wasn't a risk if he was found out. And so that removes a very cliche danger, which is like, oh, if he gets found out, his family could be killed. Sort of thing. It's like, it's not about that. So they reframe it to be like, no, the consequence will be he doesn't get to go back to that life until this is done. You know, it's like one way or the other, it's like he has to get this done. He, ha he All the impetus is on him finishing this mission, getting all the evidence, because any other way, is basically him probably not getting to have that life back, you know, like that. And even as it unravels and you kind of start thinking, God, this is going to go bad for him, you know, this isn't going to work out uh, because I don't see how he gets back from this if anything goes wrong. But you know, it's like, well, one way is, of course, yeah, get the evidence and um, try and convict this guy. And like uh, the, the truth of it is, it's like uh, there's a messier way around it and this is it and. I feel that tension that's been bubbling up the whole game is there in that final thing where it's like, he's got no other choice. It's like his last option is to strike out in a moment of like near death and near certain death. And he does. And, you know, as long as you pick the right option, of course, um, <laughs> you know, that, that is uh, what he does and he gets it right. And even, even in that choice, you know, like the logic being built into what, bit works and what doesn't work you know um being given narrative purpose was just like yeah i, I love it i love that and yeah it, i think that framing was so important overall in terms of making this story work because if it had been like the cliche oh no the family will be in danger you, how many times have you seen it yeah like the, the undercover cop it, it, the people he loves is gonna uh, gonna get killed now or whatever like that or anyone in organized crime you, you see that all the time so you know i love that that angle was afforded you know time and still made to be tragic you know it's like he's not lost them in the normal sense but he's lost them because yeah you know, the way things are it means they might as well be dead to him if he doesn't do what he needs to do yeah and the fact that again the writing is able to support that in a way that you can feel his pain in that scenario. The fact that he even has to stare at those gravestones more than once, yeah. you know, that inflict that inflicts real damage, real pain. Um, and I think that that's spelled out perfectly clear for um, the player. And, 
you know, if anything, it was funny in this week's horror bite, I talk about how I'm not a huge fan of like multiple endings, but with this game, I would be interested to go back um, to replay it. So that way I could see how uncovering more evidence against the cult plays out from a narrative standpoint, seeing how that maybe alters things or opens up new options mm. in terms of my interactions with various characters. Cause um, and I think that just, again, that speaks to the quality of just this package and it being not to say that like it feels more complete than the other entries in pixel pulps, but it just, it feels so realized in a way that just makes me excited, you know, for the future of this series and whatnot. And, you know, maybe they're going to move on from pixel pulps in the near future, but at the end of the day, it's like, I want to see what else they can do. Um, whether it is this type of serialized storytelling or if it's something else, um, it's the type of package that um, I think if I had come to these games before we had been covering so many visual mm. novels on horror bites, I might be, I might not have even gotten around to them, but you know, that's one of those things where it's like, you know, be open to new types of experiences and whatnot. And you can be rewarded with games such as uh bonds and nights. Yeah. And you know, as I said, if anyone's wanting to try it now and they've got PC, Obviously, it's not um, high maintenance in that regard. Play it. <laughs> not at all. Um, if you have a Steam Deck, as I do, it, it's perfect. These games are perfect for Steam Deck. You know, like uh, like all visual novels really work for portable systems. But yeah, you know, if you want to play it on other portable systems such as a Switch, or you just want to play it on console, it is coming out this month. I believe the eighteenth of January. By the time it's which is about a few days from now, probably when you hear this. So. Yeah, all of them are worth checking out. But, you know, if you really want to see this at its peak in so many ways, I'd say this is uh, it, really. Yeah, if I had had a Steam Deck, I probably would have finished this in one sitting, if I'm being <laughs> honest. But that's going to do it for our conversation on and uh, Nights. And next week, we're going to be chatting about a game that uh, you've mentioned now twice on the show, and I finally, <laughs> finally made time to dive into. Um, and... I'll say that I am pleasantly surprised by it, but that's going to be our chat about Dead Island 2 next week. Um, but until then, my friend, it is a pleasure as always chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Back at you. Until next time, with a zombie slaying. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.